Let's get to our passage today. It's Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 to 11. We're actually in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you guys realize that? There's only, I think, like five or six more messages. And we're actually done with this whole series that we started back in March, which is actually pretty great. Have you guys been enjoying it so far? I enjoy it a lot. You know, I get really challenged every single time I prepare. So Matthew 7, 7 through 11, I titled it Pursuing Prayer. The Word of God reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you to open up our hearts. We need you to teach us. We need you to enlighten our hearts. We need you to change us. Only you can. So God, we pray that you would do that at this time. Reward those hearts who are seeking after you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know, we're working through this section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching us how to live out his righteousness within our lives. Now that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And it all began with that commandment to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we've talked about that a lot, but the, the, the bigger picture is this, that Jesus Christ gave us faith so that we could live out his righteousness in the world around us. He wants us to live like Christ in this world. And that's why we're still alive. That's why we're not dead. That's why we're not in heaven right now. He wants us to live like Christ in this world today. And the way we do that is by what? Pursuing eternal treasures and not earthly ones. We do that how? By trusting in our Father who loves us and who wants to take care of us. The quickest way we hijack that, the quickest way we destroy that, is by doing what? By loving money, by consuming our lives with worry and judging others, right? And that's why Jesus warns us against those. You know, today what Jesus is going to do is actually pretty amazing. He's going to take all of these teachings. He's going to take all these teachings one step further. He's actually going to bring it all together so that we can actually start to not only learn about these things, but actually practice them and see them within our lives. We know what Jesus wants us to do. But the question that he wants us to answer today, or that he wants to answer for us today, is how do we actually change to become like Jesus? It's one thing to know that we need to seek out eternal things. It's one thing to know that we need, you know, that we shouldn't worry, that we can trust in God. But how does our heart actually change to trust? How do we actually live uh, live out love in a way that's actually sincere and Christ-like, genuinely, from our hearts, especially when we don't want to love people? How does our heart change? How does our mind change? That's exactly what Jesus wants to share with us today. You know, the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and that you surrender your life to Jesus, we learned that you are now covered in his righteousness. Morally, however, you know, we're still deep within our sins. You know, nothing much about our sinful nature has changed. It still influences so much of what we do. You know, and so what do we do as Christians? We understand all that, so we commit ourselves to church, don't we? We commit ourselves to CGs. We sign up for every camp that comes along. We go to all the revival meetings. We listen to podcasts like 
crazy. We do everything that we can to fill our lives, you know, so that we can become like Christ. And maybe for many of you who have gone to church for a long time and you've invested in those things, maybe if you take an honest look at your life, sometimes we get disappointed, don't we? Because we do so much for Jesus. We put so much of like our Christian faith into our lives, so many ingredients. It takes up like every single day of our lives. But yet when we look at our lives, we look at our hearts, we look at our minds, sometimes we get disappointed, don't we? That are that we're just not as much like Jesus as we hoped we'd be after like five years of doing this, or after seven years of doing this, after going to church for like 20 years. Sometimes we look, take an honest good look at ourselves and we're just like, man, why is my desire for Christ not increasing? I know it's supposed to, because that's what I've been taught, but if I take an honest good look at myself, I'm like, good, I'm okay, but it's not increasing. My passion for Christ, my commitment for Christ is not growing, and I quite honestly... I don't know if I really wanted to. How do I change that? You know, you guys ever feel like that towards your Christian life? Or maybe we're just confused and frustrated that we're just not growing and changing as much as we had hoped, even though we invest so much of our lives into actually doing that. And so our passage today is a passage that Jesus Jesus wants to address all of those issues in our lives today, and he actually wants to help us practically grow. It's also a message for new believers, too. You know, if you've recently decided to give your life to Jesus and believe in Jesus, Jesus here is sharing with us the key to not only growing in Christ, but to continually grow to become like him. Okay, so it's for all believers in every single way. You know, but before I move on, can I just say that if you're part of that first category, maybe you've gone to church for like 20 years. Maybe you've gone to church for like, you know, the past 15 years and, you know, you committed your life to go down this path, but for some reason you kind of don't see much holiness change in your life. You don't really see yourself really moving closer in your walk with Christ. Can I just say one thing to you? And that's this. Thank you. Thank you for still coming to church. You know, a lot of people I see, I've been a pastor for like 20 some years. I see, I see a lot of people drop out when these things don't practically happen within their lives. But thank you for continuing to come. Thank you for continually, you know, even tuning into the live streams, because I know at the heart of it, there's a part of you that truly believes that you can encounter Christ today, that you know that God is so much bigger than what you're experiencing in your life today. And so you put your hope when you get into that car, don't you? You say, maybe today is a day that everything will change, that my heart will change, that I'll actually hunger and thirst for more of Jesus than I ever did, especially yesterday. And I want to thank you for still putting your hope in Christ, and I pray that you'll get rewarded from our message today, because I think that's exactly what Jesus wants to share with us, okay? That's a pretty big promise. I'm kind of building this up a little bit too much, but the promise is really big. You know, in today's passage, Jesus is going to teach us straight up how we are to grow in his righteousness. Today, I kind of call it the nuts and bolts of Christianity. You are going to learn exactly how Jesus wants us to grow to become more like him. And this is actually one of the most crucial parts of the holy process that everyone has to be involved in if we want to grow in holiness, grow in intimacy in our walk with Christ, as well as to grow in living out his righteousness within the world. And if I can sum up this whole process in two words, I sum it up like this, pursuing prayer. Okay, it's a weird phrase. I'll talk about it in a second, but pursuing prayer. You know, in our passage today, Jesus teaches us how we are to obtain his righteousness more within our lives. He is directly teaching us how we can actually maintain a poverty of spirit within our lives. How we can maintain a pure heart within our lives. How, can we, how we can continue to be influential salt 
and light. How we can have radical marriages and continue to have radical love for people in this world. How we can continue to seek him first within our lives and to store up eternal treasures. Everything that the Sermon of the Mount promises us, Jesus is saying through our passage today that that can all be ours. Right? Everything, everything that Jesus has taught so far in the Sermon on the Mount can practically and realistically be ours through this teaching today. And that's a huge promise, but that's exactly why Jesus shares this with us today. He's saying very simply, here in these few verses is the ordained, Christ-proven way to gain more of his righteousness within your life so that you can live it out for him. Okay? That's it. And it's by pursuing prayer. What does that mean, pursuing prayer? It's an awkward phrase. It is. It's awkward on purpose. It's prayer. That's what it is. But the reason why I put pursuing is because I want to kind of skew your minds a little bit just to kind of indicate to you that it's not just a regular prayer, but it's a very intentional, Christ-focused, I want more of Jesus, I need more of Jesus, I need Jesus in my life type prayer. It's a pursuing prayer. It's a prayer that pursues Christ. Where do we get that? We get that in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. If you notice, there are three verbs here in increasing intensity. Ask, seek, knock. Right? And not only are they in increasing intensity, but these verbs are written in the present imperative form in Greek. Right? Who cares? But what that means practically is that Jesus is commanding us to continually ask to continually seek, and to continually knock on that door. So what he's describing is this nonstop, until we die pursuit. That's what he's indicating to us, right? You know, a lot of people think um, that these verses are telling us to ask, seek, knock for anything in our prayers, right? That we're supposed to be like, you know, like a red Corvette. It's because you're not, you know, ask, seeking, knocking for that red Corvette. That's why you don't have it, Eddie Bang. No, it's not true. These verses are not talking about what we are to pursue. Jesus is saying who we are to pursue. And what he's saying is, you are to your life, if you want to grow in your righteousness and if you want to live out more of my righteousness within your life, then you need to be on an all-out pursuit of me. Ask continually for me. Seek me continually. Continually knock on my door. So Jesus is commanding us. Basically what Jesus is commanding us is what we've been saying every single week ever since we started this journey in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what? We need Jesus to become like Jesus. We need Jesus to live more like Jesus. And that's it, that's it. And that's, it. And that's the bottom line. We need Christ to live out his righteousness. It's only by his grace, and it is only by depending upon him that we actually grow. Why is that? The reason for that is because he is the only one that can give us the ability he is the only one that can give us the power. And he is the only one that can give us the Holy Spirit to actually live out his righteousness properly for his glory. Right? That's it. You know, the reason why we don't grow many times is because we're trusting in our own efforts to grow. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, please don't misunderstand me. We all need effort. We all need a lot of effort to grow in our Christian walks, and I'll share with you in a moment exactly where that effort needs to go. But, you know, a lot of us, what we do, the reason why we don't grow is because we trust in our own efforts to make us grow. You know, 
Um, if we are trusting in our own efforts to make us grow, if we're trusting in eternal things to make us grow, a lot of people believe, man, if I go to church a little bit more, maybe if I go to that next meeting, I'll grow more. If I go to that next CG, I'll grow more. If I listen to more podcasts within my life, I'll grow more. If I listen to just Christian music in my car, I'll grow more. You know, if I follow this pastor, I'll grow more. If I go to another prayer meeting, I will grow more. And you want to know, here's the reality. If you go to all those things and put all those things within your life, you'll grow a little. It's influential. It's influential. Something will happen, but it won't, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You're not going to get very, very far. Why? Because we're trusting in things. We're trusting in external things. We're trusting in ourselves and our own efforts in order for us to grow. But we were never meant nor designed to grow like that. Right? Tell me if I'm wrong, especially those who have been Christians for a long time. You can't become more holy by your own effort. You can try, try, try to become more holy. But when you look deep inside your heart and your mind, you're still just as evil, even more wicked sometimes as you grow older and older in Christ. Right? You can't change. Your heart doesn't change. Your mind doesn't change. You can't overcome sin nor conquer your sinful nat- nature no matter how hard you try. It just doesn't happen that way. You know, you don't become more like Jesus just because you want to. And pastors like me sometimes, we're no help. I don't know how many times I, I like jacked up some people because I told them the wrong advice. I'd be like, dude, if you want to become more like Christ, just read your Bible. I'll say something like that. But how many times has that not happened within your life? You read your Bible, but you didn't become more like Jesus. Am I right? It, it happens. Just because you read your Bible, it doesn't magically, mystically, your life doesn't change just because you read black letters on a white page. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't. Now, don't get me wrong once again. Please don't misunderstand me. We need Scripture to grow. We actually cannot grow without Scripture. It's because we don't live according to the truth that our lives don't change and we don't grow in it. However, Scripture without Jesus, Scripture apart from an intimate walk with Jesus, will not help you grow. As a matter of fact, truth without intimate heart exchanges with Christ can actually lead us to rebellion, right? Scary but true, right? Truth apart from love, a love relationship, an intimate growing love relationship. Truth apart from that intimate love growing relationship can actually make us rebellious towards God. It's dangerous, but it's true. We need both to grow, scripture and prayer. Growth in Christ really is a supernatural process. It's only when our hearts are completely yielded to Christ And his grace, that he takes over and he influences our hearts. He starts changing our minds to be like him. And so really, it is only Jesus who can actually make us more like Jesus. Only Jesus can empower us to live holy, to overcome sin, and to actually pursue eternal treasures. You know, we just obey those things because Eddie said so a few Sundays ago. But Jesus can actually change our hearts to want that more than anything else in life. Right? And that's why Jesus commands us here to continually pursue him. And here's the good news. The good news is that if he's commanding us to pursue him continually, then we can be confident that he wants to continually give us more of him every single time we ask. And that's the power behind this passage today. You know, for the rest of our lives, we can always have more of Christ. We can always be continually changed. Our hearts, our minds, there is always hope that it can be transformed to be like Christ tomorrow. Do you see? If we simply do what he commands us to do today. So, how do we pursue Christ? That's through what? Pursuing prayer. 
And Jesus teaches us two crucial kingdom values that he wants us to grow in as we pursue him in prayer. And the first is this, persistence. Right? He, he wants us to have persistent prayer. Verse 7 and 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, the fact that Jesus wants us to ask first Right? The fact that Jesus wants us to ask causes us, it tells us that the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that only Christ has something that we need. That's why we got to ask for it. Right? Asking really is a call to humility and dependence and submission, isn't it? The actual word ask in the Greek, there's a few words that you, know, you can say the word ask in Greek, but this particular one is one when an inferior makes requests to a superior, and it totally makes sense, doesn't it? It's acknowledging that, we're, that we need what the superior can give us. The word seek means to search for something. It not only involves asking, but it involves effort. It's describing a prayer that's actively pursuing him as well as expecting to find what we're looking for. This is a great word, to seek after Christ. So we need to come expectantly, pursuing him. And that's a, it's an active word that, he, that, he, that he's telling us, he's commanding us to do. And the word knock here paints a picture of someone pounding on a closed door, right? The only way you knock on a door is if it's closed. And that's actually very important. The picture that Jesus is painting here is pounding on a closed door, which takes what? More effort, right? This is what he's commanding us to, to persevere, in our prayers. That's the key word here, to persevere in our prayers. But what are the rewards that Jesus promises if we engage ourselves in this pursuing prayer? What's the reward for continually asking in this verse? The reward is that we will continually get. If we continually seek, the reward is that we will continually find. The reward for continually knocking is that Christ will continually open the door. When we continually seek him in prayer, what are the promise? What's the promise? of this verse. When we continually seek Christ in prayer, what's the promise? What's the reward? He will continually give himself to us. This is huge, right? This is huge. If you don't understand anything else, you got to get this one. If we continually pursue Christ, Christ promises that he will continually give himself to us. If we continually ask for the things of the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says, I will continually give those things to you. Right? This is such an amazing promise. If you continually ask, seek, and knock, if you, can, if you are persistent in pursuing prayer, Christ himself will help you and give you whatever you need to become like him and to live for him. You know, so many Christians today describe their walk with Christ as distant. Right? Some people, they feel far from God. But here's the real question, and unfortunately this is the question of questions. How persistent have you been in asking, seeking, knocking for a deeper intimate relationship with Christ? Do you spend your every day of your life asking for that? Christ says we can have it in the Sermon on the Mount, but do you ask for it? Do you seek for it? Do you knock for it? He's saying you gotta. If you do, you'll get it, right? A lot of people, you know, describe our, our faith as, as, as lukewarm, you know, one foot in, one foot out of the world. And, you know, we're not as passionate. We're not as committed to Christ. And, you know, why is that? And so the question, unfortunately, the question that I want to ask you is, how persistent are you in asking, seeking, knocking for his grace to consume your heart, for you to be overwhelmed by Christ once again in his presence so that all you would want in your life is Christ? Isn't that in the Sermon on the Mount? 
course it is. Poverty of spirit, overwhelmed by his grace. That's there. But how much do you persistently ask for it? Right? A lot of people describe their faith as a daily struggle and a daily defeat against the same sins over and over and over again. But once again, the question is, how persistent are you in asking, seeking, knocking for his power, his supernatural power to overwhelm your heart and your mind so that you can overcome sin, have victory over it? Right, so that your heart, mind, your whole mind, your whole life direction can totally be transformed to want him instead of sin. How persistent have we been in asking for it? So do you see? Christ promises that if we persist in our asking, seeking, knocking for more of his righteousness within our lives, he will give it to us. That's it. Right? Whatever he's promised in the Sermon on the Mount, we will receive them. And these promises, they're not just these spiritual ideals that we learn in church. These are real gifts that the Father wants to give us. Real gifts. But the problem, that, the reason why we don't have them is because we don't ask. You know, we don't seek for them. We don't knock. But he wants to give them to us. Why? Because we said, just like we said at the beginning of this sermon, he saved us so that we could live out his righteousness in this world. And therefore, he's going to give us whatever we need in order to do that. But in order to get that, we need to be persistent within our prayers. And if we do, if we pursue it every single day persistently, we will continually get it in increasing measure for the rest of our lives. Verse 8, it says, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And this is a continual promise. He promises here that we can have everything continually from the Sermon on the Mount. So we can actually have a continual forgiving spirit to those that we're always tempted not to want to forgive, right? We can, he'll continually change our hearts so that we'll want to reconcile with people that we actually dislike one day. You know, he will continually destroy our critical and judgmental spirits. He will continually increase our love for those that we just kind of deem unlovable. Pastors experience this all the time, right? Do you think pastors love every single person that walks through the door? We do, you know, but, but we don't because some people are hard to love. So what do pastors do? They're like, oh, yeah, you know, forget that guy. I'm not going to love that guy. No, we can't pick and choose. We have to, like, sit on our knees or, or, or you know, just get on our knees and say, God, I don't love that guy, honestly. But you've got to change my heart to love that guy. Please, because I don't want to. But change my heart to, you know. Somehow let me, let me see him like you see him, you know, and... And then God changes our hearts to do so. And it's amazing, you know? Like, when I, if I ever leave this church, the person that I actually love the most is probably the person that I pray for the most, which means, which means that you're the person that I probably dislike the most, you know, in my whole journey here. That's, 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 that's the reality sometimes, but that's so true. Let's get back there, Sharon. What am I talking about? Okay. Where am I? So Christ will continually give us all of his righteousness if we simply persist in our prayers. If you understand this principle and this concept, then the reason why you are not growing in your walk with Christ today is why? Because you're not asking, seeking, and knocking. Okay? That's it. That's a spiritual reality. And if that's the case, then maybe the real questions you need to ask yourself are, are these questions. And that's this. Here's the real questions. How much do I want Jesus? Like, really? 
how much do I really want him? You know, is Jesus really my priority in life? You got to answer that question. You know, is pursuing Christ, is seeking him first, making him proud and happy of me, is that what I want the most in my life? And that's the question that's on the table, you know. We understand the whole process stuff. We understand all the teachings. But really the question that needs to be answered in your heart today probably is that. Do you really want Jesus more than anything? That's the tough one, you know, that we got to deal with today. You know, now the question, so, but the thing is, you know, I really, I'm always convinced as a pastor that if people are willing to, like, drive 30 minutes to come to church, that they want Jesus. Am I right? You gotta. No one would waste their Sunday afternoon in a place like this, you know, if, if you didn't want Jesus. But I'm convinced that you do. The question really is then, instead of just choosing to be lukewarm, choose to be hot. Choose to give yourself fully. Choose to give yourself fully to Christ like you know you probably really want to do. And let today be that day that you do that. Now, for some of us, the question that really might come to our hearts is really this when we think about persistent prayer. It's, it's this. Well, if Christ wants to give us all those things and he's ready and willing, um, and why do, we, why do we have to persist in our prayers for them? You know, why can't we just ask once? And he, why can't he just give it to us? You know, why do we have to persist within our prayers? Why does he make us continually ask him over and over and over again, which is a great question. And here's the answer. The answer is because many times we're not ready to receive what Jesus wants to give us. Okay, that's it. I read this in a book and I thought this was really great. One father believed that his eight-year-old son was, was destined to become a professional chef. Did I share this story with you ever before? You know, he was just absolutely convinced. This kid, he would just wake up and just talk, you know, just spend his life in the kitchen. He would watch the Food Network all day. He studies recipe on the internet. Most kids are playing games and looking at cartoons on the, on the iPad. Not this guy. He's like researching recipes, this eight-year-old boy. And so, and he's always curious about different flavors, you know, around the world, different nations and different countries. And so, you know, this father's like, I think this guy is destined to become a chef, this eight-year-old kid of mine. But then he asks this question. He says, but do you think that even though I truly believe that the destiny of my eight-year-old child is to become a professional chef. Do you think I'm actually going to give him a professional knife today? A professional chef's knife? No. That's crazy. Why would I do that? Why? Because he'll get caught. You see? No matter how much we believe that this is our destiny, there is a time and a place and a readiness for us to receive the gifts of God. Right? God keeps the door closed so that we can grow in maturity, so that we can grow in our character, so that we can even grow in our respect to all the other aspects of the kingdom that we need in our life before we even get that prayer answered that we're actually seeking after. And that's why a lot of times he doesn't answer. And that's why he wants us to, you know, to persistently pray for those things. Because a good father, like our God is, not only gives good gifts, but he gives them only when it is good for us. Right? So that's why we need to persist. And so through that process of persistent prayer, through the repeated, intimate heart exchanges with Christ, through the challenging yet purifying crucible of obedience in his leadings, our heart changes. 
our mind changes to value what he values, to see as he sees, to love others the way he loves, how he loves, who he loves, and why he loves them. And when God knows that we are ready, he'll open the door and we'll use those gifts for his glory. So persistent prayers prepare us to receive those eternally valuable treasures in our lives. And that's why Jesus says it's so important that we be persistent. So set your heart to become a man or a woman of persistent prayer. Not just praying once, but persistent prayers. Set your heart on Christ. And through it, not only will we receive more of Christ, but we will truly start to become more like Jesus. Pray persistently. Secondly, he wants us to pray confidently. Verse 9 through 11, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Once again, Jesus Christ is describing a ridiculous situation. No father would give stones. Oh, you're hungry, kid? Here are some stones. No father would do it. No father will give their children snakes. To eat, okay, that is absolutely evil. But what is Jesus saying here? The point that Jesus is making is this. He's saying what the very best of earthly fathers give to their children is absolutely nothing compared to how good the gifts are that the heavenly father will give his kids. That's exactly what he's saying. In verse 11, it says, how much more will your father in heaven give these gifts? That phrase, how much more, is a loaded phrase. It actually carries with it the connotation of infinity. So what does that mean? It means that the gifts that God wants to give his children are actually infinitely better than the best gifts that an earthly father could ever give his kids. That's what he's saying here. He's making that comparison. But so what? Who cares about that? Why does Jesus consider that teaching so important for our growth in Christ? And the reason why Jesus teaches us that is so that we could be assured of God's character but more importantly, for God's commitment to us. That's how much God is committed to us as a father, and that's how much he wants to give that to us as a father. But why is that important for us, especially in light of pursuing prayer? And here's the answer. Because we pattern our requests after the character and the nature of the giver. Our human beings always pattern their requests after the na character and nature of the giver. Did you, ever, did you ever notice that? Right? I'm sure if you just think of you and your parents, it's probably true. But let me give you this example that I see, I've saw so often. You know, being a youth pastor for 13 years, I've seen so many things. Okay? You know, every year there's a camp. And the camps aren't cheap. Everyone here knows camps are not cheap. You know, it's like 150 bucks or something like that. And so, you know, one Sunday we'll announce, hey, camp is coming. And we'll hand out these forms. And uh, sometimes I'll see these kids. Once we say amen, they run out the door, and they go straight up to their parents at church. They're like, Dad, camp is coming up. I need like 150 bucks by the end of the month. Right? They're just bold. No hesitation. They run out the door. That day, it takes like two minutes, and they run, and the parents are like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? And then, so I think that's amazing. But then uh, I'll see those kids bolt out the door, but then I'll see other kids like in the corner, totally stressed out, <laughs> you know, because they're like, oh, I don't know, I'm going to ask my for like 150 bucks. And so they're strategizing. You know, they're totally strategizing on how are we going to ask? How am I going to get 150 bucks from my dad? You know? And I've heard so many stories about what goes on in that, in that mind and in that corner. They're like, okay, you know, I, I need to get my dad 
when he's like the happiest. You know, when is, when, you know I, need to, I need to make sure that he's like totally confused. Maybe when he's totally confused, I'm, I, I'm just going to keep, I'm, I'm going I'm to look out for it. And then I'll attack him with, you know, the request. Or I just need to approach my dad at the right time, you know, when my dad is in the right mood. And then even when all those conditions are met, no one just goes up boldly to their father and says, Dad, I need 150 bucks for the camp. No one does it. No kid does that. But they always like put on the, the nicest smile. They're like the gentlest kid. And they change their voice. Like, oh, dad, oh, loving. You know, they, they do all that, whatever. They do everything to manipulate the situation so that they make sure they do nothing wrong or else they won't get a cent. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? This is what we do. Now, at first, when I saw this, I thought this over and over and over again. I first thought, I, I thought, oh, that first kid, he must come from a really rich family, so he can just boldly ask. And the, the second kid must come from a really poor family, so that's why it's really difficult. And sometimes that's true. But after many years of youth ministry, this is what I discovered. I realized the main reason why kids act differently is this. The main reason why the first kid acts totally differently is because he knows that his parents want, them to, want him to go on that retreat, on that camp, right? The, he's simply asking for something that he already knows his parents want for him. So he goes up and says, hey, that camp that we were talking about, it's coming up. I need 150 bucks by the end of the month. I know you want me to go, so give me the money. But then the second kid knows that their parents don't want him to go to camp. So they got to do everything they can to manipulate their parents to get that money. You know? And so since they're not confident that their parents want that kid to go to camp, you know, they're totally stressed out. Do you guys get this? So these two children, they end up asking their parents totally differently. We pattern our requests after the character and the nature of the giver. And so when you think about God, do you think that he's a stingy God, that he's going to be stingy with you? If so, then you're going to be stingy in your prayer request. You know, if you, if you think he's like a miser, that he refuses to give you stuff, then you're going to do what? You're going to like beg, and you're going to be like all stingy. You're not going to ask for too much. If you think that he's unapproachable, that he doesn't even want to pay attention to you, that you've got to jump through a few hoops, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to be like all religious. You're going to say all these religious things to try to get his attention, to kind of like win your favor in with God, and only when you've got his attention that maybe you can ask. You're going to totally pretend to be someone else, and maybe say like more religious phrases than you normally would in your normal conversation because you think this is what God wants to hear. You know, you're going to totally change to be like that because you have no confidence that God wants to give you anything. Have you, have you guys ever prayed like that? I prayed like that for how many years of my life? But if you truly believed that God loves you, like, if you truly believe that he cares for you, if you truly believe that the moment he sees you, that his heart and his, his whole body, his whole being beams with love and joy, and that all he wants, and that he's totally consumed, that he's default mode, and he's totally consumed with just being generous to you, being gracious to you, wanting to give you the most infinitely great gifts in the world. If you were absolutely convinced of that, then you would ask a little bit differently, wouldn't you? You'd be like, Dad! I need holiness, man. Give it to me. I need purity. Give it to me. You know, and we might actually be shocked if we don't get it. Because we know and we're convinced that this is what God wants for us. That's what Jesus is saying in our passage today. This is who your father is. He wants to give you the greatest of gifts. He is willing and able, wanting to give you all the gifts if you simply ask for it. This is the heart of God for you. And it's not just small or stingy. It's an infinite measure. It's infinitely available to you if you simply would ask with that confidence 
And with that heart, trusting in who he is and everything that he says, Jesus says that God is. He is. This is who our God is. All these teachings of the Sermon on the Mount can be ours because they are what our Heavenly Father already wants us to have. We just have to ask, seek, and knock. Not only persistently, but confidently. Knowing that this is what our Heavenly Father wants to give us. Right? So persist with confidence. Pursue with confidence and pray with confidence. God is willing and wanting to give us anything that is good for us spiritually if we persistently and confidently pray for it. Do you guys get this? Do you guys understand this? Yes? Is this hitting your heart? I hope so. It means anything and everything that you need to become like Jesus, to live like Jesus, God will give to you. If you're sitting here and you are not saved, and you're absolutely curious about Jesus, and maybe you actually want to give your life to Jesus, pray for it today. I bet you'll become a Christian. If you're sitting here and you feel distant from God, and you feel like you can't overcome sin, if you feel like you're lukewarm, pray for it. Persistently, confidently. And just see if God doesn't change you. If you want your witness to grow, your marriage to be centered upon Christ, if you want your love for money, your worry, or your judgmental spirit to be destroyed, pray for it. Pray for it. God will give all these things to you and more if you persistently pursue them with all of your heart. Can you imagine if the church actually prayed for all their spiritual needs? What if we actually prayed for all of our spiritual needs confidently and persistently every single day. I think the world would be a little bit different, wouldn't it? What if you prayed for all of your spiritual needs just as passionately as you pray for protection against the coronavirus? Who prays for it? I pray every day. God, don't give it to me. I don't want it. Do you guys pray like that? Please protect my kids. You know, I have kids on the line here. I pray that every day. But what if I prayed for my spiritual needs just as passionately as I prayed for protection against the coronavirus? Man, there would be revival. There would be revival in the church if every church member of every Christian did that. Do you know what I'm saying? The worship of God would increase. It would spread all throughout the world. Pulpits would be on fire. Mission fields would shrink. And Christians would be characterized by a burning passion in pursuit of God. It'd be different. But the, what's the problem? The problem is we're not praying. We need to be men and women who want Jesus more and who prove it by living on our knees. This is the reason why Sometimes the Western church is so spiritually dead. You know, we are not asking, we are not seeking, and we are not knocking. Today the main teaching is that Christ is willing and wanting to give us anything that is good for us spiritually if we persistently and confidently pray for it. Anyone here who is vibrantly and dynamically walking with Christ, you guys can totally attest to that, to, to that point. But if our lives today are characterized by lack of growth, lack of intimacy, lack of power, lack of holiness, all that stuff, then it's mainly due to what? It's, it's due to our lack of hunger and pursuit of Christ. And so once again, the real question is, how much do you really want Jesus? You know, I thought about all these teachings today, and there's just one thing I really want to say to you as your pastor, and then I'll close. You know, I was actually overwhelmed very, very... I was overwhelmed because I sat there last night 
And I looked at this promise, and I said, this, is, this can't be true. It really can't. Are you saying if we just ask, seek, and knock, and we persistently persevere in our prayers and our pursuit of you, that you'll give us everything? And if that's true, then everything that I just mentioned, like revival and the church changing Christians, mission fields, why, why isn't that happening like in the Western world as we see it? You know, is this really true? And I, and I, I, couldn't, get, I couldn't get over it. And then I thought about you guys, and I know I don't, I don't know every one of you guys personally very well. But I thought about church in general, our church. And I just thought, and I, I kept on thinking about you guys, I kept on thinking about this whole situation, I kept on thinking about these truths, and this is my conclusion. I realized this. None of us go to church wanting to live a mediocre Christian life. Am I right? None of us. Rock up to church, thinking maybe today I could be more lukewarm. None of us do. All of us hate coming to places like this and hearing another mind-numbing, heart-numbing, or being part of some mind-numbing, heart-numbing religious activity. We don't want to do that. That's a total waste of a life. Am I right? None of us want that. But the reason why we show up is because we're still convinced that there is so much more to this walk than what I'm experiencing. Jesus says here that there is. But the problem is that we don't really want Christ enough. And so as your pastor, all I can do is beg. I'm begging. Please, want Jesus. He's saying, here I am. I'm totally available. I got like all the gifts available and ready to go for you guys. But the thing is, you guys got to want it. But it's here. And if you want it, you're going to get it. I don't know how many times he says that in these verses. But if you don't come after it, then God's not to blame. You know? Not that we need to blame anyone. But you've got to realize it's there. You just got to want Jesus more. Our passage today says that he will give us everything that we need to live a dynamic and eternally significant life. All that the Sermon of the Mount promises is available to us in infinite measure. But to have it, we got to want him. And so after the first step, after putting our faith in Christ, it really is becoming a man or a woman of pursuing prayer. Let's be those men and women today. Let's pray. I hope today sounds more like an invitation to anything else. It's not condemning. No one's angry. It's hopeful because you're sitting right here. Because you've already made the right choice by wanting to come here, by wanting to seek after Christ. You didn't come here to just to sing some songs or to listen to a message. You came here because you believe that there is so much more to your life and to your walk with Christ than you might be experiencing today, and there is. Jesus says you can have everything that the Father wants to give you if you simply live this life of asking, seeking, and knocking. So if there are certain aspects of your walk with Christ that you need more, will you not ask Him today? Come and ask Him. Whatever it might be, ask Him. But maybe the thing that's bothering you in the back of your heart is, 
Honestly, God, I don't know if I want you, but I don't know if I really want to surrender all to want you. And that's always going to be the tough one, but that's the real question, isn't it? Can I invite you to even pray about that? And say, God, I'm not 100% there. I know, it, I, know, I know it's right. There's no reason for me not to be, but I'm not there. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to show you that he's so much worth what you think might be valuable in your life today. He's so much more worth it. Will you pray for it? Let's give ourselves to Christ and let's become men and women of pursuing prayer. Let's pray.